Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. As we read through the Gospels, one of the things we see Jesus doing most often is teaching. Whether he's speaking to crowds, telling the disciples parables, or talking one-on-one. Through his stories and his life, Yeshua taught about who God is and how we should live. His disciples called him Rabbi. In John chapter 13, verse 13, Yeshua says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. All who heard him teach were impressed by his authority. This aspect of Yeshua's ministry fulfills what scripture says about the Messiah being a teacher of righteousness. In a previous episode, we discussed how the Messiah is like a shepherd who guides and cares for his sheep. Today, we will focus on the Messiah as a teacher who directs us as we go about our lives. We will look at the passage in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 19 through 21, which speaks of the Lord as a teacher to Israel. What does this passage mean, and who does this teacher refer to? Our guest this week is Scott Brown, who is the previous director of our ministry branch in New Zealand and has worked for years with traveling Israelis in New Zealand. Scott, welcome to Our Hope. Hey, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I know that when we had our Israel tour back in 2018, I believe you preached a message on the Sermon on the Mount. Is that correct? Well, you know what? I I took four and a half years to preach through the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, wow. Uh, because it's only an 11-minute sermon. Um, and I may have given I may have given a message, but sorry, I can't remember. Okay, no worries. Well, since you are a first-time guest, it's important that we ask you, the same question that we ask every first-time guest, what is your favorite food? <laughs> uh, there's no question that this is a Jewish broadcast, right? <laughs> first things first, let's talk about food. Do you know the Jewish joke about Jewish holidays? Mm, I'm not familiar. Okay, well, every Jewish holiday has the same theme. They tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> oh. 
So before I answer that question, I have a test question for you. Okay. Okay. Do you know how to find the location of Jewish communities in North America? Where do you find, how do you know where clusters of Jewish people are in North America? Hmm. Hmm. I know I didn't prompt you for this. In my experience, Chinese restaurants. Oh. Honestly, I, I challenge you to prove me wrong here. Where you find, when you find sort of a cluster of Chinese restaurants, you know that Jewish people live there because I don't know what it is about North American Jews. We just love Chinese food. So <laughs> that is my favorite food. I'm obsessed with all Asian food, but Chinese in particular. And I'm now learning to cook it. So I'm very excited. Oh, that's awesome. So, Scott, we know that you uh, recently returned from New Zealand and you were in New Zealand at some point during the pandemic, helping the ministry there with traveling Israelis. What have you been up to lately in your life and in your ministry? Well, lately was New Zealand. I mean, uh, for the last 13 years, Margie and I have been living and ministering in the land of the long white cloud. Um, <laughs> so that's we've just moved back now. The previous 20 years before we went to New Zealand, we we led a Messianic congregation in a very Jewish area between Washington and Baltimore. Oh, wow. So a lot of people wonder why in the world would we move from a neighborhood of 350,000 Jewish people to a nation, New Zealand, of only 7,000 Jewish people? Because okay. strategically, that sounds really, really dumb. <laughs> and it would be dumb if not for the fact that all these thousands of young Israelis flocked to New Zealand after their mandatory military service mm -hmm. in Israel. So uh, it's been an amazing uh, run in New Zealand. I'm sure it won't surprise you to know that after serving in the Israeli army for two to three years, these beautiful people are filled to the brim with questions, questions about life and mm -hmm. questions about their future, questions yeah. about meaning and purpose. And so it's been just an unspeakable privilege to connect with them in this station in life and to share good news of the Messiah who can answer every question and meet every need. So that's what we've been doing. But um, we've just moved back to the States. We're now living in wild, wonderful West Virginia <laughs> and uh, trying to uh, assimilate back into American culture. Oh, well, that's awesome. We're glad you could be here today for this episode. And I can only imagine the kinds of conversations that you've had with traveling Israelis while you were in New Zealand, probably some conversations about prophecy. And I know today we're talking about a specific prophecy from the book of Isaiah. Uh, the book of Isaiah, it reveals the full dimensions of God's judgment and salvation. And like other books written by the prophets, it speaks of God's judgment on his people and their following redemption. Uh, the prophet Isaiah also writes about the glorious messianic age and the coming messianic king, which is in the future to come. So it's always important that we read these passages in context. So before we jump into uh, discussing this prophecy, I'm just going to read it real quick to you, Scott. It's in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 19 through 21. O people in Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or to the left. 
So Scott, can you share briefly what is this passage speaking about? Does it have any themes or what is the context of it? Who is Isaiah and uh, who is his audience? Well, Nicole, you're a good Bible student because uh, context is essential. Um, very simply, Isaiah is prophesying to Judah, the southern tribes. This is during the latter half of the 8th century BC. And honestly, if not for the the many flashes of revelation of the coming Messiah and the coming messianic kingdom, this would be a really, really sad book. Mm. Isaiah is pronouncing woe after woe to leaders who aren't looking to God for counsel. Mm. Instead, they're placing their hope and their security in alliances with neighboring nations. So in other words, Judah is behaving just like you and me before we placed our trust in the Lord, you know. Yeah. finding life and meaning and significance and purpose in something other than God himself. But the chapter we're looking at today, chapter 30, it pronounces more woes. It begins this way. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit. You know, you, it just breaks my heart. I, I have seven kids, and right. I really can identify with the heart of a father. You can hear the heartbreak of a father who just so longs to guide and protect his kids. I got a call the other day from my youngest, Allie, who lives in Lynchburg, and she called and said, Dad, can you help me? How do I hang this thing on my wall? Oh. <laughs> and, and we talked about it, and I hung up, and I thought, oh, it's so great that my children still call me for advice or counsel yeah and this is what our father god wants he wants us to rely on him because he he's the only one with all wise counsel so later in the chapter we get this sampling of just how spiritually impoverished the people had become they're saying quote this is from the text yeah. don't prophesy to us right things speak to us smooth things mm. prophesy deceits in other words we want lies yeah and then they say get out of the way cause the holy one of israel to cease from before us and nicole you probably recognize this attitude this rebellious spirit if you've ever had someone yeah. say to you don't talk to me about god mm -hmm. you know we've all heard this if we've shared our faith so this is the general context of the passage that we're considering today and I know it, it really does, you know, I think break God's heart as a father to to let us face the consequences of our actions, you know, because even though he is merciful, he's also just. And um, in this world, we will, I mean, there are times when we make a mistake and we have to deal with the consequences of our actions. And so we see in the, in the passage that we read, it mentions the bread of privation and the water of oppression what do those represent? Are they literal? Are they figurative? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, privation isn't a word that we use very often, but it's yeah. sort of a shortened version of deprivation, deprivation. Mm. And it makes reference to just being deprived of the most basic and essential needs. And so this phrase seems to be an idiomatic phrase from ancient Israel. It shows up in First Kings. It shows up in Psalms and other places. Mm. And it just implies a season in which someone is being fed the bread of water, the bread and the water of suffering. Mm. But 
What makes this verse and this passage interesting is that the one who's serving up this bitter meal is God himself. Oh, wow. So in verse 20, the Lord is delivering the bread and water of diversity. And it's kind of a play on words because if Judah responds appropriately, God will deliver bread and water of blessing. Mm. You'll see it in verse 22. It says, quote, I'll give you rain for your seed, that's water, yeah. and bread of the increase of the earth, water and bread of blessing mm -hmm. instead of water and bread of adversity. You know, uh, in my opinion, one of the grandest mega themes of the Bible is God delivering adversity for the sake of his glory and our redemption. Mm -hmm. I mean, the secular world gets right. it. You can hear this theme in their own idioms, you know? How many times have you heard no pain, no gain? Oh, yeah. Or, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I mean, you know, they write country songs about it, right? They do. But <laughs> I'm sure you'll agree that one of the most unspeakable benefits of knowing and trusting God is knowing and trusting that there's a purpose and a meaning behind all the trouble that we experience. It's not just random bad luck and it's not just unfair. It's one more opportunity to discover that God is your provider and your deliverer, not Egypt, not Assyria, not your job, not your portfolio. You know, I'll, I'll never forget these words from Oswald Chambers, which I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me. But he said something like this, woe to you who rescue people from their adversity. For those you rescue will in another world raise a bony finger and say, you robbed me of discovering the sufficiency of Christ. Oh, wow. Wow. Incredible statement. And it just, he nails it because one of the most heinous crimes we commit in our so-called ministry to others is rescuing them from an encounter with God. Yeah. Let's stop that. You know, when we see a loved one being fed the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, well, yeah, let's come, let's come alongside them. Sure. Mm -hmm. we, let's walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death. But let's not be too quick to rescue them because we may be robbing them of a life-changing lesson from God our teacher. That's right. I mean, on a personal note, like I recently had uh, some struggles with anxiety and it really reminded me that I can only rely on God as my source of peace. Uh, I, I can talk to other people, you know, and I can ask for their advice and I could distract myself by watching a movie or whatever, but ultimately uh, the only source of true and lasting peace is God himself. Amen. We'll be right back. Shalom, I'm Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. Is it possible for Jewish people to believe in Jesus when there's such a sad history of Christian anti-Semitism that has shaped Jewish attitudes towards the gospel? Well, I know there's hope because I'm Jewish and I believe in Jesus. And I would love to offer a few suggestions for reaching Jewish people personally with the love of God through Messiah. First, keep your message personal. You're representing a person, not a religion. Second, be loving, patient, and kind, 
even when they object. And then finally, and most importantly, pray. Touching the heart of your Jewish friend with the good news of Messiah will also touch the very heart of God. And you can learn more by visiting Chosen People Ministries at chosenpeople.com radio. Shalom. As the year draws to a close and the Advent season approaches, many of us will reflect on the Messiah's first coming and celebrate His birth. This year, experience Advent in a whole new way when you attend our free online conference, Advent Through Jewish Eyes. We will hear from three Jewish believers in Jesus on what the Hebrew Scriptures say about the Messiah's coming. Our speakers are Moody Bible Institute Professor Dr. Michael Rydelnik, President of Chosen People Ministries Dr. Mitch Glazer, and radio host Dr. Michael Brown. This free event is on Thursday, December 9th, 2021 at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Register at chosenpeople.com advent today. And now, back to our program. So jumping back in, um, in verse 20 of this prophecy, it says, He, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Who is this figure of a teacher, and what exactly is the teacher hiding? Why is he hiding from Israel? Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Well, I guess one question we can ask is, what do teachers do? That is, they instruct, they provide lessons, they they give themselves to teaching for the betterment of their students. And this verse implies that in delivering privation and oppression, God is taking the role of teacher. Mm. Now, the good news is that God's students, in context, the southern tribes, they're going to learn their lesson. We see this in the following two verses, which pictures of people who have repented and they're, they're walking with God and experiencing his blessings. And you asked, why is the teacher hiding? Yeah. Um, it may be good to start by asking, who is the teacher? Mm. Now, Nicole, in your introduction, you pointed out that Yeshua spent his earthly ministry teaching. He was teaching the multitudes. He's teaching the 70. He's teaching the 12. He's teaching demons. I mean, yeah. just about every encounter had a teaching element. So does this mean that the teacher in this passage is Yeshua? Well, We don't really know for sure, because the passage doesn't identify the teacher explicitly. But but there are clues. There are clues. And the clues give us a reason to believe that the teacher is Yeshua. And the first clue is this one who has divine status. He is God. He's first hidden. And then later he's revealed. Mm. So Yeshua being God, he, he exists eternally. He has no beginning and no end. But at the time of Isaiah's writing, Israel had never encountered him physically. He was entirely hidden from sight, Mm. even though he was teaching them constantly through his spirit and through the Torah and through the prophets. But Yeshua didn't remain hidden. He is God incarnate in flesh. He's the image of the invisible God who took on Jewish flesh. He dwelt among the very people whom he had been teaching remotely for centuries. Mm. People who were astounded by his teaching transformed by his teaching. In other words, as Isaiah 30 prophesied, their eyes and their ears were at last literally seeing and hearing their teacher. They were astonished and transformed by his teaching. 
and the world is still reeling from the impact of his visitation. Amen. And what I find interesting about Yeshua's teaching, I heard this a few years ago, is that because of Yeshua, the Hebrew scriptures have gone out all over the world, not just the New Testament, but the whole Bible. And so mm. it's just amazing to see the way he, he taught everybody. Um, he kind of is that bridge, you know, between, I guess, like Jewish community and also the Gentile community. That's a really neat uh, observation. I'd never thought of it, but it occurs to me that I, as a Jew, really didn't study the Hebrew scriptures until I was introduced to Yeshua. Oh. Uh, you know, even in my first efforts to disprove his identity as Messiah, um, I had to go back to the Tanakh. <laughs> so uh, it was kind of a, uh, an, an anti-reason, but, um, but Yeshua brought me back to my Hebrew scriptures. Yeah, cool point. Awesome. I know for a lot of Jewish believers in Jesus, when they uh, begin reading the gospel accounts, they notice that a lot of Yeshua's teachings sound very Jewish. They perfectly align with Old Testament teaching as well. And I would say the, the most famous example of Yeshua's teaching is the Sermon on the Mount, which we see in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, how does that passage connect with what the prophet Isaiah is saying in the prophecy we read earlier? Oh, man, that question pains me because uh, it's such a big sermon. I mean, as I mentioned before, 11-minute sermon took me four and a half years to preach through it. <laughs> the, the Sermon on the Mount you may disagree, but I think it shows the difference between walking in the way of righteousness versus walking in the way of religious deeds. Mm. You know, it, it reveals that every deed is judged by the motive driving it and not by the deed itself. Yeah. And some, some people say that the Sermon on the Mount is about the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law or the intent of the heart versus the work of the flesh. But Isaiah may have described it best in the passage we're, we're looking at today. He said, that this teacher of Israel would one day say, quote, this is the way, walk in it. Mm. And Nicole, I cannot imagine a more precise and poignant description of the Sermon on the Mount. Yeshua is simply saying in the sermon, Matthew 5 through 7, he's saying, as opposed to what you were taught, this is the way, now walk yeah. in it. That's beautiful. And that brings so much freedom too. So I think sometimes it's easy to kind of get lost in the weeds of, of scripture and you want to focus on doing things perfectly, exactly the way it says on the page. But I think God sometimes, uh, he's driving us to like a deeper principle in scripture where it's not just necessarily about what's written literally, but also just about um, what the law represents spiritually. Yeah, I mean, consider the fact that because of his life and death and resurrection um we have this law this perfect moral righteous law written in our hearts yeah. and we can actually interpret this law internally by reason of a counselor who also dwells within us it's astounding yeah it's something i wish all of our jewish people understood one day one day amen So we see as we read the Gospels that Jesus, he calls himself different names, really. I mean, we see that he's the Prince of Peace. We see that he is the King. We see that he's the Lamb of God. 
Um, but also we often see him as teacher. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 8, where Jesus said, Do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. What does this say about the kind of teacher that Jesus is? How is he different from other rabbis who were around at the time and teaching other people? Yeah, it's a great question. But before I answer your question, I have a test question for you. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Nicole, what okay. is the greatest gospel film of all time? Oh. I know that's very subjective, so I can't say you're right or wrong, but. Yeah. I mean, my dad would say the greatest story ever told. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you may never invite me back to your podcast. But I contend that the matrix is the greatest metaphor ever made oh. <laughs> <laughs> for the born again experience. Have you seen the matrix? The first one? Uh, it, it's funny because we were just talking about this in the digital media department the other day. I've only seen a clip of it when I was in college. It was for my sociology class. I have not seen the whole movie. Okay, Nicole, you have to repent. Okay. <sighs> okay. You need to repent <laughs> and you need to see the matrix. Um, look, it's, I'm a little bit tongue-in-cheek here, but the, in the movie, the Matrix is a lie. It's a deception that is meant to distract the whole world from the fact that they're helpless slaves. Okay, does that ring true? And yeah. every everything, this is from the movie, everything you see and hear and touch and taste, it's all unreal. It's the things that are not seen that are real. Okay, that's from the Bible too. And in the movie, you have a choice, all right? You can continue to remain a slave. You can... You can stay plugged into the lie, the matrix, and believing whatever you want to believe. Or you can, by faith, become unplugged from the matrix by taking this blood red pill, hmm, <laughs> which kills you and regenerates you into a community of other believers who know the truth mm. and have been set free. And it goes on and on. There's amazing metaphors about spiritual warfare. But you asked yeah. me, what makes Rabbi Yeshua unique as a teacher? And lo and behold, the Matrix addresses that as well. <laughs> now, when you see it, you'll see how the unplugged believers are taught new skills. They're literally plugged into a resource mm. that instantly downloads gifts and abilities into them. Oh, wow. All right. So, wow. Because when you and I yield our lives to the Messiah, he doesn't gather us into a classroom to teach us how to live the Christian or the Messianic life. Only one person has ever lived the Christian life, and that is Christ himself. He is the life that has consumed us. Now, you may recall that when he moved into the neighborhood, he said some pretty bizarre things. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. First John chapter 5 tells us that he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Colossians 3 says, when Messiah, who is our life, appears, then we'll appear with him in glory. So, all right, what makes Rabbi Yeshua unique? Well, human teachers try to improve our lives with their teaching. But this teacher is out to crucify our so-called life and replace it with the only life that is righteous and eternal. Yeah. Our teacher, Yeshua, actually intends to live his life through us. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I would say that this makes Yeshua entirely unique in his brand of teaching, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. We know Yeshua did a lot of teaching during his ministry on earth, during his first coming. Um, and that was a major part of his ministry. But would you say there could be a future fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah? Yeah, I would. Um, because there's there's another clue in this Isaiah 30 passage. Uh, and it hints at the, the telescopic nature of the prophecy. By that, I mean that some prophecies are telescopic in that they they not only have one fulfillment, but multiple future fulfillments. So they're telescopic in nature. So the teacher who is hidden and then revealed, well, he's being discussed smack dab in the middle of a passage describing the glories of the messianic age. So if you look at verses 18 to 26, this is one of Isaiah's many, many glimpses into the millennium where Yeshua will physically and literally rule and reign over the nations. So, you know, right now he's hidden. We don't see him. He's ruling over a mystery kingdom consisting of all who trust him as Lord and Savior. But one day soon, we hope, he'll be revealed. He'll come out of hiding, as it were, and he'll return to the earth in the same manner as when he left. So it may be that Isaiah's prophetic eyes are seeing both revelations of the hidden teacher, first from history past, 2,000 years ago, when he came out of hiding, and then again in history future, the second coming, when he comes out of hiding to rule and reign in Jerusalem. Amen. We have a lot to look forward to. <laughs> That's the understatement of the millennium. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, we really appreciate you uh, being able to join us on this episode. And we just have one final question for you. On a personal note, how has knowing Yeshua as your teacher influenced your life? Wow. I appreciate your asking the question, Nicole, and it shouldn't take me more than one or two hours to answer. <laughs> so... Um, Look, I've received a commission to make disciples, and by the way, you have as well. And it's a commission we can't delegate, we can't relegate it. We must make disciples of Yeshua. Now, yes. the wonderful thing about fulfilling this commission is that my life will not end up being this, you know, this isolated event that lives and dies and is meaningless. No, by, by making disciples, by reproducing spiritually, my life becomes part of this incredible divine movement that is transforming lives all around the world. Yeah. So you ask, um, how has my knowing Yeshua as my teacher influenced me? Well, my teacher has instructed me to teach. In fact, he did it in the context of the commission to make disciples. Now, you know, the passage we hear it at every missions conference, Matthew 28, 18 and following Yeshua says, go therefore, the therefore is because he's been given all authority in heaven and on the earth. And in light of that, go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, speaking of teaching, teaching yeah. them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, I find this so cool. Yeshua commissions us to make disciples. Then, then he tells us how three things. First, do it as you're going. 
Second, immerse them in my name. Third, teach them. The teacher instructs us to teach, but look at how we are to teach. He says, quote, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Nicole, the implication is that you, the disciple maker, are to be a living, breathing incarnation of obedience to the commands of Yeshua. So wow. that means you're to be observed and scrutinized and studied. And as the disciple watches you walking the walk, that is meant to have this life-changing effect on his or her growth as a disciple and on you. I love how Albert Schweitzer said, um, example is not the best way to influence others. It's the only way. Anyway, my wife and I have taken this seriously, which is why we've invited more than 60 young adults to move into our home and live with us for up to six months at a, at a time. Not all at once, of course, <laughs> but one to five <laughs> yeah. at a time. You know, when we do this, everybody grows in this arrangement. They grow by observing us living out all that Yeshua has commanded us. And that includes our obedience and our disobedience, by the way, but that's another okay. sermon. And we grow, Margie and I grow by being examined. So I'm going to ask you my last test question. You ready, Nicole? I'm ready. All right. In your life, to whom are you more accountable? Your mentors or your protégés? Are you more accountable to Ooh. your mentors, the people who you go to for counsel and advice and wisdom? Or are you more accountable to your protégés, the people who are, in a sense, following you? Hmm. Hard question, right? It is, yes. I'm kind of moving into that space right now um, because I'm a, I'm an, I'm an assistant manager right now, and so I have somebody who looks up to me, but then also I have a mentor as well, and so. So the question is, to whom are you more accountable? Yeah, I've always thought it would be mentor, but. This question is making me think about it differently. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. you're dead right, dead right, because the protege, the proteges are watching us like hawks. You know, mm -hmm. they're they're trying to figure out not just how to do the job, but they're trying to figure out by our example how to escape this planet alive. And that kind of that kind of accountability keeps us sharp and alert to our constant need to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. So you asked me, how has, how has this affected my life? This is, I think this is the greatest element of transformation, spiritual transformation in my life and my, and my wife Margie's lives. And that is by inviting people into our life to teach them by having them observe us living out the commandments in obedience and disobedience. Mm -hmm. We have, we have grown more that in any classroom, in any church or congregation, it's by reason of doing what the teacher told us to do. Yeshua is the teacher of righteousness. He taught with unmatched insight and authority using memorable stories and thought-provoking questions to show people what the kingdom of God looks like. 
His teachings continue to shape our daily lives, and we look forward to his return. As the prophet Isaiah predicted, his presence and teaching will bless the land and people of Israel. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope, featuring Chosen People Ministry staff member Scott Brown. This episode was produced by Nicole Vaca and Grace Swee, written by Rachel Larson, and edited by Grace Swee. This episode was also created thanks to Abe Vazquez, Dr. Mitch Glazer, and Kyron Bautista. I'm Nicole Vaca. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHopePodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. You can also support our podcast by giving today at OurHopePodcast.com slash support. See you next time.